biblical truth. And biblical truth, friends, is the only truth. There are not different brands of truth. What we believe, the gospel is set forth in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This, from the word of God, is a truth statement. It is true truth. It is what we believe. It is true. There is no shading. There is no qualification. We are saved because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this culture we live in now believes something else, something called postmodernism, which I will explain more fully in a later sermon. But postmodernism generally holds that there is no true truth. There is no truth. There is your truth. There's my truth, his truth, even his or truth <coughs> on your chosen pronoun of the week. And it seems nonsensical, doesn't it, that there's no true truth. But understand that there are many people in this culture that believe this, that have bought this lie from Satan and believe it. And it is up to us to stand firm as a part of Christ's church to understand what the world believes, what we believe and how we can confidently tell people what we believe. Because sometimes we're a little embarrassed, we may feel a little bit foolish, but we need to be equipped to say what we believe with confidence, to know that our truth is God's truth, that we need not and should not be embarrassed that our truth seem out of step with the culture, with the thoughts of the culture, with the thoughts of influencers. We all know influencers, or even regrettably, that our thoughts may be out of step with what are some of the so-called popular preachers of the day are saying. Preachers who we've come to know and love and listen to that are now drifting into this thought of postmodernism and relativism. And so in this series that I'm going to preach, not today, but that I'm going to preach moving forward, we're going to learn what the Bible says about and what we can arm ourselves about race, about gender, sexuality, about guilt, what true guilt is, what justice is, what equality is, what does the Bible say about the redistribution of wealth, about abortion, religious freedom, and maybe more depending upon what happens between now and September? Because the one thing we do know is that new things are coming at us so quickly, so fast, that it's hard to keep track of. It's hard to know what people say and think. But today, what I'm going to talk about thinking biblically is about this church, the Chef Church, and your elder team, of which I'm one of five and you as Christ's flock. So again, even about this subject, the Bible tells us all we need to know about the church and its elders. It contains all the truth that we need in order to be able to live and prosper as Christ's church. A theologian, Alfred Kuhn, reminds us that every time man attempts to be more intelligent than God, 
and develops a religious system better adopted to the psychology of man or better adopted to bringing people into church, more comfortable with the spirit of our times, that attempt is short-lived. The churches established by the apostles remain the valid models for churches of all times and places because the Bible is true, because God tells us what we need to know to have a church. To have a church. Now, Eli uh, just completed his sermon series on the qualities of an elder, and I pray that I'm able to measure up to those standards as an elder, and I pray also that it's caused some of you in this congregation to be in prayer about maybe whether God has called you to that role. But as one of the elders, I want to take this opportunity to share with you what the Bible says about our role as your elders and how we're trying to work that out with God's strength and wisdom. Because it's been a while since we've had a permanent pastor here. And people do talk, and people are wondering, and people are what's going on. And so I thought that I would take this opportunity to tell you what God tells us as elders we're supposed to be doing in order to shepherd the flock and what we are actually doing. And perhaps um, put you at your mind at ease about some of the things that are going on. Well, first, your elders are praying constantly for the church, for you, for each and every one of you. We are a fairly new group of elders. We're not these old grizzled veterans that have been around for 30 years. Most of us have served for less time than that, with the exception of Fernando. But we are, believe me, seeking the Lord's guidance in all that we do. We are constantly in prayer. There are many issues that we are addressing, um, some which are troubling, some which could be frustrating if we didn't know that this is Christ's church and he will see that it prospers. Because what we truly believe is that it is Christ's church, and regardless of what we may do to mishandle an issue or make a bad decision, Christ will prevail. It is his church. He will make it be what he needs it to be. And we rely an awful lot on 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul asked for the Lord to take away that thorn in his flesh. And Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I can assure you that every one of your elders will boast of their weakness in this regard, because they want Christ's power to rest on them. So the governance of this church is a great example of Scripture being sufficient. The Scriptures present us with a model for the church which your elders are steadfastly attempting to follow. Now Paul used many metaphors for the church, the body, the bride, the temple, the flock, but the one he used most often was family, and particularly the fraternal part of family, which is the word brethren. And Eli spoke of this a few months ago. Paul's love for the brethren was absolutely clear in his letters to the various churches. Why is that? Well, a family is really the most intimate of human relationships. And in the family, we're able to see the love, the closeness, the privileges, the relationships that exist not only amongst the family, but between God and man, and man and man, as a result of Christ's incarnation and death. In the church, we're supposed to be a close-knit family of brothers and sisters. And if, through some unfortunate circumstance, we were not blessed to have such an earthly family, we can experience it, or we should be able to experience it, in Christ's church. And when it's working right, it works very well. It works very well. Now, the elders are the leaders of this family. 
We're not corporate executives. The Bible doesn't call us to be executives. It doesn't call us to be CEOs. It doesn't call us to be advisors. We are pastors. We are shepherds of the flock of Jesus. The word pastor really means shepherd in the Greek usage. And that's what all of the elders are to be, pastors or shepherds of the flock. And your elders take this responsibility very seriously and prayerfully. So I'd like to describe to you how we're acting in that regard in God's grace and mercy. At the beginning of May, your elders and Eli met for a retreat to discuss our church and the elders' roles in the church. There are three main goals for the retreat. Some of you may have heard we did a retreat. The three main goals for the retreat were clarifying the elders' roles in choosing and equipping a new pastor, defining the role of the elders in the church and the structure of the organization, and developing a vision for Chef Church. And now, we were able to clarify our roles at that retreat and make a start on these other issues. So let's talk about those roles. Because there are four main aspects of what the elders are supposed to accomplish, biblically, to protect, to feed, to lead, and to care for needs. So we're going to address each one of those. First, protect. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul calls the elders of Ephesus to him because he wants to tell them something. He's leaving them probably won't be coming back and wants to instruct them. And so in verses 20 through 31, he says to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. So as elders, we are to protect the flock. Well, who are we to protect it from? Well, certainly the world, we all know that, but who else? Well, Paul makes it very clear, the wolves among us. Your elders are praying and studying to be sure that they have enough knowledge of the Bible to be able to identify and refute false teachers false materials that may be being used in, in, in classes. We've begun making sure the materials being presented to you is reviewed by us. We're reviewing class materials, teachers, songs, announcements. You've entrusted us with your care, so we ask for the grace to allow us to proceed to do that by making these changes. Change is hard. No one likes change. But we assure you it's being done for the protection of the flock. And we humbly admit that we don't have all the answers. We don't always do it right. We invite your discernment in these matters as we move forward. And not only in this congregation, but the wolves in the church at large, Christ Church at large. We're examining these popular preachers and teachers, the TV people, the internet people, the people that are well known. Some of them are wolves, infiltrating churches with smooth words that sound so good, words about justice and words about different things like that, which when you compare them to Bible may not necessarily be true, and we're praying for discernment and for the ability to protect our flock from this influence as well. And it's also the responsibility of the elder to look after lost and strayed sheep, to be aware of those among us who may be struggling and to provide help and support to those people among us. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Well, the Greek word used for admonish, which is found only in several places in the New Testament, means to put in mind and then to warn, to entreat, to exhort. It's part of the duty of a minister or an elder to put his people in mind of the truth 
to warn them of danger and exhort them to perform their duty and to admonish them if, if they go astray. It's also the duty of elders to pay attention, to watch, to see who hasn't been to church, and if they haven't, why are they not there? To find out if there's something going on. And so we are prayerfully trying to do that, and that means that your elders are protectors and watchmen, defenders and guardians of the word, and also of the members of the flock. We are prayerfully engaged in gently suggesting biblical means of resolving conflicts. Believe it or not, there are conflicts that arise in the church between people. And so we are trying to biblically address those warning and encouraging, and if all else fails, discipline, because that's a part of the church as well. Well, protecting the flock, though, also requires us as elders to be spiritually alert. A good shepherd is always alert to danger. He must know the predator to know what the danger is, and in this case, it's Satan. What is the danger? And to understand the importance of acting wisely and quickly when danger presents itself. Paul did so in Acts 20, verse 3. He fled Greece when he discovered a plot against him. He was alert to the danger, and he fled from there. Your elders must be sensitive to subtle attacks on the church and be aware of changing issues and suspicions in society and in the church, which are a danger to us. We must recognize a threat as a threat. It's real easy to say, well, it's not that big a deal. Let's just put up with that and we'll move on to something else. But once the camel gets its nose inside the tent, it's very difficult to get it out. And so our prayers in this regard have led us to this sermon series, which I'm starting in September, which I described at the beginning of the sermon. We're going to talk about a lot of those issues. We're going to talk about how we can arm ourselves to recognize those threats and be able to deal with those threats. Well, know that we are always praying for you and always praying that God would guard our walk as well. We're also trying to educate ourselves about the different threats presenting ourselves, presenting themselves, and our understanding of the Bible. The most damage to a church occurs when the elders are prayerless, untaught, and inattentive to what is happening around them. We try not to be, but we covet your prayers in that regard for the strength to move forward, because it does take strength, it does take discipline. Well, besides being alert, another part of protecting the flock is having the courage to fight. Several weeks ago, when I did opening prayer, I prayed from Nehemiah 4.14, which says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We need to fight. This also calls to mind 1 Samuel 17, 33-37, which was part of the story of David and Goliath. And remember, David, he was a shepherd. And he's the example for us as shepherds. And Saul said to David in this, this series of scripture, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he has been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. The servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be 
That's the courage of a shepherd. A shepherd is not just someone that stands there with a staff in his hand and, and watches the sheep. He has to be courageous. He has to fight. We pray that God would give us the ability to measure up as well. And we know that the Lord will give us the courage to fight, even when it is unpopular to do so, because we are fully committed to protect all of our flock. Now, the second task of the elders is to feed the flock. In John 21, 17, Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. Well, the early apostles were all teachers, teaching others, believers just like Jesus did, and they were doing the same thing. And our job of elders is to teach and instruct as well, to feed. Now, the elders that you have, the Bible's all have different gifts. We're not all preachers. You know, you know, I'm the only one that's standing up for preaching right now, but we all have an aspire to a sound grasp of the faith. And we all have an ability to teach and instruct in small groups and one-to-one. -one. And we welcome the opportunity to do that. The third task of the elders is to lead the flock. Now, elders lead, govern, direct, manage, care for you. 1 Timothy 5.17 provides, let the elders who rule will well be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The elders are to rule, but how do they rule? Well, they rule as God's stewards. Titus 1.7 says an overseer is God's steward. It's God's steward. And a steward in the Bible is typically considered someone like a household manager with official responsibility over the master's servants, property, and finances. That's a pretty awesome responsibility. Elders are stewards of God's household and church. Therefore, we need to be problem solvers. How do we accomplish things? The greatest example of that now is the finding and hiring of a new pastor. We're prayerfully engaged in that quest and have been for a while now and are using the tools which God has provided us through the EFCA and through our own wisdom experience and the wisdom and experience of the members of the call today. It's been a long journey. I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, why don't we have one? Why can't we get one? And it's tested our patience and our trust in the Lord. And I can promise you that every member of the call committee is in prayer and takes his or her responsibilities very seriously. The elders of the call committee have a plan for doing this, but it's being executed with the intention to let God speak and reveal his direction for this church. But know that a pastor is but one other elder, a shepherd for the flock. Yes, he stands up and he teaches and he does some things that the other elders might not do. But in the absence of that one person that we would call pastor, your elders stand in the gap. We are the people that stand in the gap for the Lord, ready, willing, and able to fill the roles, like preaching, like teaching, like counseling, like talking to people. It would seem a relief to have, finally, at long last, a pastor. But it's not a magical. The New Testament church did not have an organizational tree with the pastor at the top of it. All elders, including the pastors, are shepherds. When a pastor is hired, your elders will train, will lead, teach, encourage, comfort, and feed our new elder, the pastor, and continue to do the same for you. It won't stop just because there's someone filling that role of pastor. And we are excited to have this opportunity. We're excited to work with people talk with people now to try to find that person for this congregation. Well, the elders in their role as leaders also need to be planners. 
And we have begun the process of a strategic plan at our May 1st retreat, and we are continuing to meet to develop a plan and procedure for prospering God's household. So that's ongoing, and we're doing all of those things. And I know we don't always talk about all the things that we're doing as elders, but I just wanted to have this opportunity to assure you that we are working hard to accomplish these things. And elders also need to be thinkers and dreamers, considering how to make things work. I can tell you the question, hey, what if, comes up an awful lot at elders. Another part of leading the flock is being willing to work hard. The work of the shepherd is difficult. In Genesis 31-30, Jacob talked about this. He was talking to Laban about all the work he had done to earn the marriage to Rachel, Laban's daughter. And Jacob had worked for Laban many years as a shepherd to earn this ability to marry Rachel. And what he said in verse 30 of Genesis 31 was, There I was, day by day. The heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my, from my eyes. The work of a pastor is hard. First Timothy and, and First Thessalonians both talk about the labor of an elders. And so you're always going to just meet once a month or twice a month, but we labor at different times of day and night over issues which present themselves at all different times. You know that things come up at different times so that we can lead you in the direction that we feel is biblical. Try to be hands-on. We've been reviewing materials, we talk with people, we counsel, we lead groups, we resolve disputes, whatever needs to be done. The fourth task of the elders is to care for the practical needs of the flock. There are diverse needs in this church, and we've already talked about some of them. And as elders, we're ready to meet whatever the needs are if we know about them. Some of the traditional things we've done in the past have been impossible during the challenges of COVID. We used to do home visits and hospital visits, which are coming back not been able to do that. We're ready and able to do marriage counseling. We're talking about biblical marriage counseling, not psychological marriage counseling. We're, we're talking about doing, we're ready to do regular counseling with people that need biblical counsel about stuff. The Bible calls upon us, and not just the elders, but all of us, to counsel each other about biblical matters, to lead and guide according to God's word, not according to modern psychology or society's norms. All of us have the ability to lead people to the scripture and to tell them what God says about certain things. And your elders are ready to and able to do that now. And so although we as elders are charged with caring for the needs of the flock, biblically we're not to be the total care ministry of the church. We're not the only ones. This is the work of the church. Each and every one of you here. And whether you come to this church or go to a church down in Canyon, Canyon Hills, is it a Canyon Hills? Canyon City, right, Canyon City, Colorado, doesn't matter. You're part of the church, and it's all part of our church, and it's all part of our opportunities. And we do this here through teams, opportunities, barbecues, music, going on missions, trips. We meet with, as elders, we meet with and train up one men and women to do this work. We mentor, we disciple. We want an active, alive, every member ministering church. That's our point. In 2 Samuel 12, 3, God is chastising David for his abhorrent behavior with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. And God, through Nathan, gives an example of the love of a shepherd for the least of his flock. In verse 3 it says, But the poor man had nothing but one little hue lamb which he had bought, and he brought it up. And it grew up with him and with his children that used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. 
that's the love of the shepherd for his sheep, not just to follow it around the fields to keep the, the, the wolves away, the bears away, the lions away. It's to love the sheep as well. We love people. We love to be with you. We love you. We fervently want to be involved in your lives, and we want to know you. We fall short of that. We recognize that we all fall short of that. We need your prayers. And when we can't do it all, which we certainly can't, we get back to you know, God's grace will be sufficient. We remember 1 Peter 4.8. What Peter said in that letter was, when you fail, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We need to love. We need to remember that with our servants, we need to love them, and, and the servants need to love the flock, because the flock does know exactly. And so when, as elders, we ain't doing it right, know that we love you. And that covers some <coughs> sins. And know this also, that Christ's presence is with this whole congregation, not just with the elders. Christ ministers through each and every one of you here. Not everyone functions as a shepherd. That's the elder's job. But we all provide for the needs of those around us when they know what they are. But the congregation is governed by elders, and so Christ-like love, humility, and prayer are required from all of us. So I'll close with these biblical reminders from Acts 6.4. The elders are talking to the church. They've just appointed some deacons, or they're just about to appoint some deacons. And the elders say, the apostles say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Lord. Your elders are devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the Lord. That is our deepest desire and love. And Acts 1.14 describes the congregation itself. It says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. The first congregation that we hear about in the New Testament were always in one mind and were devoting themselves to prayer. What a all that is. But it is one that Christ will give us the strength to do in his grace. And in Philippians 2, 2 through 8, Paul talks to the congregation in Philippi saying, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being formed in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that's what Paul calls us all to as members of the church. Well, there's five of us elders in this big church. Doesn't seem like a big church. It's not a mega church, but it's not a modern pop church either. I remember we've been here 13 years, and I remember when it was way smaller than this. And you knew everybody, and, you know, and it was easy to get around and figure out what everybody's doing. This is a big church in the scheme of things here in the hills. And we are in this church as elders also continuing to wait patiently for the pastor that God's going to bring us. We resisted the temptation to choose the first guy who came along. We will continue to be still and wait on the Lord. And how do we do this? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. We will continue to teach and lead as elders while we wait on God to provide our pastor. We are weak, your elders. We know our weaknesses. 
are humble. We know Christ will succeed and he will equip us for our task. I beg that you extend grace and mercy to us when we fail and falter. Pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are weak if you are strong. We claim this promise that your grace is sufficient and that your power is made perfect in your weakness. Lord, I confess for each and every member of this congregation and everyone that is here today that we are weak, that we fail you in many different ways, Lord, but you have promised that you will build us up, that your grace will be sufficient for us. I pray that you would bless us moving forward, that you would give us heart of mercy, a heart of grace to each other, and that you would prosper us moving forward, that you would arm us against those things that would seek to damage or destroy us, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.